Tim Graham and Friends is brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. CTBK is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst, New York. CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client for assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, and advice on mergers and acquisitions, CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or to request a quote, call 716-630-2400. Again, that's 716-630-2400. CTBK, over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. Welcome back to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic here with my closest Fs, Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic and Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Global Associates here to talk about basketball because I'm going to go ahead and declare this officially basketball season. Super Bowl's in the rearview mirror. Really no Bills news unless you want to get into J.J. Watt. It's really nice and stable. I was sending a updated note to our new editor, Amy Parlapiano, who's going to be uh, handling the athletics uh, bills coverage. And uh, I made it a point to emphasize unprecedented, perhaps stability. Even during the Super Bowl years, the bills had coaching changes and this, that, and the other. You have your general manager in place. You have your head coach in place. You have your quarterback in place. Just a couple of things to keep track of in terms of free agency. So should be a boring offseason for the Bills. Don't have a lot of space, really, to make any big deal. Yeah, they could get it good. J.J. Watt might be a Buffalo Bill by the end of this week. Who knows? But as far as I'm concerned, it's basketball season. But since I just mentioned J.J. Watt, any thoughts on that, Matthew? I think they have – they're in the mix. They've got to be in the mix for – you know, a lot of it will depend on J.J. Watt's personal preferences in terms of what he wants money-wise, what he wants out of a new team, a new city, a new, you know, location. On the field, he makes – he's what they're missing – in a lot of ways. I still think he can play. Um, didn't get to see a ton of him last year, but basically with one arm in that playoff game against the Bills, he took it over uh, at times. And um, the times I did see him play last year, he still looked pretty good. His numbers were still good. If you can get him for like 10 million, then they can make it work. They can, they have the means to clear about 30 million in cap salary cap space, depending on what they decide to do. So they can realistically make a run at JJ Watt for the first time in a long time, somewhat to your point, they are a, a destination because of the stability, because of everything's in place. People know what they are. They know who they are culture wise, scheme wise on the field. So he might look at the bills and say, I want to win a Super Bowl, and that's my chance, which is a weird thing. The Bills don't usually get those guys who say, I'm at the end of my career and I want to win a Super Bowl. 
let me go to Buffalo. That's not a sentence that has been spoken a lot over the last 25 years. So, you know, there's other realistic places, right? Green Bay, he went to Wisconsin, you know, he's from there. His brother plays in Pittsburgh. Uh, so the Bills aren't alone in wanting to go after J.J. Watt or being a, a, a nice destination for him. But he's that type of guy, isn't he? That type of guy. He that fits would, that Sean McDermott profile yeah. in terms of character. And even if he's 80%, the aura that he has, he would be the defense's version of Josh Allen. You know, the Pied Piper the guy everybody looks to and as good as the bills are, and they do have leaders on the defensive side, of course, you know, Jerry Hughes and Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, but not that, you know, Josh Allen has evolved into this larger than life force on the bills. We heard uh, John Feliciano even refer to it in the podcast last week uh, about that's the number one reason why he wants to come back and play for the bills is Josh Allen and really a kid. Um, and to feel that or to understand that he has that magnetic draw. Uh, I think JJ Watts kind of that guy who everybody's going to listen to him. He's been there. He's done that. You know, he hasn't won a Super Bowl, of course, but all the individual awards that he's won, he's a first ballot hall of famer, you know, all the things that you want out of your young guys. I think that there's a lot of value that JJ Watt adds in addition to whatever sack total he can, he can uh, deliver. Yeah, sacks, pressures, the the infamous, you know the the famous swats uh, that that he has knocking the ball down at the line of scrimmage. A lot of stuff on the field makes a lot of sense. Of course, people you know wanted to. I think the Bills actually went up in the betting odds after J.J. Watt tweeted a picture of his wife in her wedding dress crushing <laughs> a plate of wings. Um, you know, people are, are trying to read through the subliminal messaging there. Um, but I think taking a page it's, out of the, uh, Josh Allen pandering playbook. Um, he's, yeah, he's, I well think ahead that, of schedule. Uh, and, and he called them wings. He didn't call them chicken wings. You know, he was like, Oh, the guy's even got the vernacular down. Maybe he's getting some coaching. Um, chicken wings. Yeah, but I, they are officially, but people around Buffalo get upset. You know, they're just wings, man. I mean, there's all kinds of things that you need no, no, to no. do to so cater to the Buffalo fan, you know. They get bad when you call them Buffalo wings. Chicken wings is what they're called. You can call them wings. Just, I think it's just know. wings. Even chicken wings. Like, what else are you eating? Headline. Chicken wings seems well, pretty redundant to me. Hey, you guys oh, want to go out tonight and get some beef It is steaks? a little redundant, but. <laughs> beef burgers. Yeah, let's get some. Yeah, let's get some beef burgers. Well, there are different kinds of burgers now, so you do need to specify. But I don't know. There was probably people zooming in on the plate, trying to see if it was blue cheese or ranch. You know, the the whole deal. But yeah, I think if there's a guy that's like he's got some of that. Yeah, I'll go to Buffalo. Like you know, that's the type of place that I think he would like to be. The way they play the. Um, you know, the, the fans, you know, it, this year really raised their profile in a lot of ways. And as a, as a destination, still not for every free agent, because frankly, you know, there's some that want the warm weather and want the, uh, you know, certain amenities of a big city, but I think no state tax there's, so there are a lot of NFL well, that's cities where you too. don't have to pay state tax like you do in New York. Yeah, so that's, you know, something that I think, you know, turns some guys off from, from Buffalo. But I think, 
you look at the teams that he's looking at or, you know, the, the ones that people are kind of connecting to him and, you know, Green Bay, you know, Pittsburgh, these aren't much more glamorous locales than, than Buffalo. He's not that, you know, really that kind of guy. So yeah, it's, it's adding a little bit of, of spice to the early part of the off season here. Most of what they're going to do is somewhat predictable. You know, there's cutting some guys to free up some space. There's a few guys that are on expiring deals that they may or may not bring back, but you know, there's no intrigue there and you know, they they'll, they'll look different, but if they can make one or two moves like a JJ Watt or another free agent, that feels like something that they need. I think the defensive line is going to look a lot different next year, regardless of what happens with JJ Watt. But if JJ Watts, the centerpiece, I think that's a pretty good situation to be in, you know, assuming everything checks out health wise. And, you know, he's still, he's still pretty young in, in football terms. He's going to be 32 at the start of the season. So I think you can still get a few good years out of him while they're in this window. So, yeah, that's uh, some interesting bills talk that uh, we didn't expect to have. I don't think that uh, as we were plotting out potential storylines in December uh, or January. What are we going to be looking at in the off season? The big stories were John Feliciano. What are they going to do there? What happens if Stefan Diggs and Cole Beasley both want new contracts? And then all of a sudden JJ Watt gets cut and the bills are reported to be uh, interested. So um, it gives us something. Think, to... I don't think that's going to happen. I, I don't want to say there's zero chance, but no. I think there's, kind of no chance that J.J. Watt gets signed by the Bills of this offseason. Is that because you're a, just your cynicism as no, a Western I mean, maybe, New York maybe, sports fan? I think, no, because I think that it just, it all doesn't add up. Yeah, the Bills can make the room to sign them, and maybe, you know, if, if this was Madden and you were determined to fit him in on the cap and do it, you can do it. But I think there's a lot of trade-offs they'd have to make in the offensive linemen that they either need to re-sign or sign different replacements for those guys. Excuse me. Uh, the, there's maneuvering they can do on the defensive line, but they're already heavily invested in a lot of defensive linemen. Re-signing Matt Milano, uh, extensions for Josh Allen. I, maybe that doesn't kick in right away, but any sort of new deals they want to do. I think if you go after J.J. Watt, it's nice to say, uh, hey, we could probably get him. Or maybe if we can get him for $6 million, that would be great. But you probably have to make the best offer to get him to not go play in his hometown or go play with his brother or any other good situations. But what if Tampa Bay can figure out a way to put him on the camp or some team that's right there and he's guaranteed to play in the Super Bowl? I don't think that there's no chance that J.J. Watt sees the Bills as a good situation if everything aligned. But I think he's going to have a lot of options and the Bills aren't in a position to overpay to get a guy who is on the backside of his career like that. And he does have those options to which he can, as we're talking about a guy who can pick his spot pretty much, especially if he's willing to take a, a lot less than market value. And the NFLPA is not going to like that. And uh, they're not going to um, be too thrilled. They'll, they'll urge him to go take whatever the market will bear because, uh, and they'll express, uh, impre- try to impress upon him that that's, uh, it's what's best for all your NFL brothers because uh, it raises everybody's value and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but if he was, he theoretically could take the league minimum to go play with his brother in Pittsburgh 
because he makes so much money off endorsements. He's one of those rare guys like a Patrick Mahomes or an Aaron Rodgers. He has all these national deals uh, that he can make it up uh, in different ways. Um, but to your point, Joan, I, I agree that if he's going to pick a spot as much as uh, Josh Allen has encouraged the NFL world that he is a bona fide elite NFL quarterback. There are other quarterbacks out there that if you're JJ Watt, you say, I, w- I would like a sure thing is J- is Josh Allen. Are the bills a sure thing? If I'm going to go sign somewhere and sacrifice the accoutrements of, of free agency, like weather, state taxes, all that stuff. Am I going to go to, it's, it's a bit more of a risk uh, for, uh, for JJ Watt to overlook some of those things to say, yeah, if I'm going to, I'm confident the bills will help me win a championship before it's over. And that could be true. And I think that that probably, you know, is it's legit. I, I do think that the bills are that good and they're that close. Uh, but it's, it's a bit of a leap of faith until you see them actually get there or compete more with the chiefs. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think but they're that, not, they're not at the point where J, a player like JJ Watt is going to give the bills a discount to join this gravy train. Like that right. would be, I, I think that's true. Bay. Yeah. Or it's, even it's Green a, Bay, Green Bay, or Green Bay or Pittsburgh closer. to go play with your brother. Mm-hmm. Or Seattle or Chicago. His wife plays uh, soccer in Chicago. So, you know, there's, there's that element. Um, you know, there's other, Bills aren't alone in their pursuit. This guy's good. He can still play. The, you know, the Bills probably will end up making a lot of these moves regardless in terms of moving on from Quentin Jefferson, Vernon Butler, some obvious places to save a lot of money, um, you know, that they can create that space. This move would probably require also moving on from somebody like Mario Addison, potentially if you want to do JJ Watt and something else in free agency. And to Jonah's point, maybe it means Matt Milano walks out the door potentially, um, which that may not even be in the bill's control. Um, You know, they could certainly offer him a deal that blows him away, but he's now about a month away from hitting free agency. And the closer guys get to that, the more they, you know, start to to taste the open market and, and want to see what, what happens. So it would require a little bit of gymnastics, some of which they're already doing though, some of which they're, they're going to try to make this space to give themselves some flexibility, but you know, you can't afford, it's not like years past where they could afford a few swings like this one. Now they're really, they have to be selective about it. You can't go get JJ Watt and find a tight end necessarily in free agency without sacrificing elsewhere. So yeah, it's a, it's a tricky balancing act for them. And I do think he will, he's going to have quite a few teams, you know, trying to go after him. There's not that many teams probably that fit the criteria and can afford it. But as we see with the bills, they're currently sitting at about, well, they're over the cap if you project it at 175, but you know, they can, there's always wiggle room for a lot of these teams and, um, certainly when a player like J.J. Watt becomes available, that wiggle room is easier to find. 
So that's what we'll be keeping an eye on when it comes to the bills for the next couple of weeks anyway, before we get towards uh, the start of NFL-wide free agency. J.J. Watt's available because the Houston Texans cut him. Uh, otherwise, we have to wait uh, for some of the other dominoes to start falling. And, uh, and who knows? Uh, if Houston ends up ch- uh, trading Deshaun Watson, that's the type of move that could change the complexion uh, of an entire team. You know, let's say, you know, if, if he gets traded to Chicago or if, you know, there are different teams out there that a Deshaun Watson makes them a totally different player in terms of uh, contending for championships or, you know, being a live uh, opponent uh, than, uh, than Deshaun Watson in Houston. And that, that's a big domino to fall. They, you know, maybe quarterbacks get shifted around and who knows, but anyways, fun to, fun to uh, have the bills involved in the, uh, in a derby, uh, it seems, uh, when stability was reigning. And I even left off the offensive coordinator. They don't even have to worry about replacing a coordinator after both of them uh, interviewed for head coaching jobs. Um, so pretty uh, – All they lost It doesn't their, get much more stable. They lost their assistant linebackers coach, and that was it. Yeah. Front yeah, office I mean, he, was stable. Um no guys going to take GM jobs. Right, that's true too. Um, no, yeah, no coaches. Joe Shane than... doesn't leave. Lake Dawson doesn't leave. Dan Morgan doesn't leave. Brian Gain um, is still there. Uh, Terrence Gray, the whole the whole crew. So, yeah, they're about as stable as you can be. And then there, you know, there will be some foundational. You know, there will be some puzzle pieces that need to change on both lines and there'll be some additions, some draft picks, whatever, but a relatively normal off season for a team that uh, seemingly hasn't had a lot of them over, over the last couple of decades. They'll have time to sit and watch basketball, Tim. Right. I was just going to say, let's talk about some big four basketball where there are some dominoes that could fall. Um, and uh, one of those dominoes might be right here in Western New York, uh, Boston College today, firing their head coach of the past seven years, Jim Christian. He's in the middle of a three and 13 season. I don't know. I mean, we can get into whether or not you should be firing your coach uh, during a pandemic. Three and 13 is pretty awful. And Boston College is a proud program. Uh, and Mark Schmidt, the head coach at St. Bonaventure played for Boston College in the 80s. He is from North Attleboro, Massachusetts, which for those who may not know, uh, is between Foxborough and Providence. Uh, so that would be a homecoming for him. Uh, it would seem to make sense. He has had great success at a smaller program with a smaller budget. Uh, he's been known, uh, he's established himself as a guy who can recruit and he's uh, X's and X's and O's coach also, and, and highly respected and on the rise. All right. So this is just a development, something to think about And hell, you know, St. Bonaventure wasn't going to keep Mark Schmidt forever. Um, but because that's fresh in the news today, Jonah, what are your, just your thoughts on Mark Schmidt, maybe not necessarily pertaining Boston college, but just Mark Schmidt, the job he's done. Uh, Bonaventure's having a pretty good season. They got pretty, they were on the cusp of top 25, uh, and then have had a couple of tough losses, uh, but seems to be another solid Mark Schmidt season down there in uh, the Southern tier. Yeah, it's, it's 
as of a couple of weeks ago, it was looking like one of the best seasons he's had. They're 10 and three now. They've lost two of their last three games. They were on the cusp of the top 25, more like, you know, they're out of that mix now. They're more on the bubble of the NCAA tournament, top 40 in the net, top 50 in Ken Palm. So it, it, with a few games left to play, the big variable for any team right now is what games are getting canceled, what games are getting rescheduled. How does that affect your resume and your bubble and things like that? And then the Atlantic 10 tournament, obviously you win that and you go into the tournament. And if St. Bonaventure gets to the final, I think the A-10 is a two or three bid league this year and, and they probably have a good chance. And that's why Mark Schmidt's name is in the conversation for a job like Boston College. He is an alumnus and that is the area, if you were to always kind of say, you know, what might be his dream job? Uh, I don't know if he would say that, but a lot of people would assume that could be on the list or that would be something that would attract him. But he's had opportunities to leave before, maybe not necessarily for Boston College, but Boston College has been open over the years and it's never really happened. He, he's getting older. He's more established. He's more rooted in Olean and St. Bonaventure than he ever was after their previous, uh, you know, NCAA tournament seasons and high achieving seasons. So the longer he's there, the more you think uh, either a school like Boston College isn't going to make the kind of competitive offer that would get him to leave or that he's not interested in leaving St. Bonaventure. All of that said, I do think the day might come as it did with Joe Mahalik, and I think it might with Lance Leipold at UB, where you've done enough, where Mark Schmidt has done enough at St. Bonaventure and reached the pinnacle of, of how much you can win at an Atlantic 10 school. And the next time he's offered an opportunity to compete at a higher level, you know, he might have to take it or he wouldn't, you know, you get to a point in your career where it's now or never. I do think that could come with Mark Schmidt. I don't necessarily think it happens right now with this Boston College job, though. See, what I, about buried, to, I buried the lead there a little bit. I finished the story with the answer <laughs> to your question. No, it's um, but, but all right. Well, we can get into the, the coaching aspect a little bit more. But regarding uh, what Bonaventure has been doing on the court this year, um, you know, they have been on national television, the A10. You, you get a chance to watch these guys a little bit. I don't know, Jonah. Have you been down there to see any of their games? No, I haven't been down there at all this yeah. year. Okay. Um, I've watched them on TV. I mean, they're good. They're not right. a really high-scoring team. They have some issues shooting the ball, but they're tremendous on defense. Kyle Lofton's a great point guard. Ocean Ashunia is, you know, as good as it gets at that level as a big man. Don Welch is a shooter. They're, they're a team that plays their five or six best players the whole game and isn't very deep. But Mark Schmidt has been winning with teams with less talent over the years or teams that were younger. This particular team, even last year, winning because of his coaching. Now they're a team that's winning with his coaching, plus having really good Atlantic 10-level talent. And they could be, if they're not the best team in the A-10, they're capable of being the best team in the A-10. Yeah, Jalen Attaway, he's the redshirt junior, uh, a guy who really doesn't get mentioned when you talk about uh, Bonaventure and their, uh, their top players. He's the uh, co-Atlantic 10 uh, player of the week. Uh, so he had a, a great stretch for them last week, averaging 21 and a half points and eight rebounds. Yeah, no, he's uh, but, been great. Um, he transferred from Miami, Ohio, and he's been tremendous. And Schmidt's done a very good job with doing that, with bringing in transfers or junior college players to replace players that leave and keeping the talent level consistently high for the last eight to 10 years there. Where do his. I don't know if you know this, Jonah, but 
his kids, three sons, are they still in the area? Have they I moved know the on youngest, to other things? The youngest one that was uh, an all-Western New York, I think it was second team, but I would have voted the first team a couple of years ago, was playing at Alfred State, which is quite local to the Ole and Bonner area. And I do think he has other kids that are still in college basketball, but I might be wrong. Yes, yeah, other kids were that. coaching. Nick is, is that an what's going on? assistant at Catholic University. And yeah, his other sons helped. Sounds like they're younger. So I was just curious if that would be something that would deter well, him, but it sounds like they might be old enough. Well, here's that's the thing. It might have been something that has kept him rooted in the Olean area recently and not that it's a perfect comparison but that's what happened with Joe Mahalik he turned down overtures and opportunities to move on even to go coach at St. Bonaventure at one point because his sons were still in high school around here then they ended up going through college and all of all of his sons got into coaching in different cities and all of a sudden Lewiston Niagara Falls Buffalo was not local for his family anymore so it wasn't you weren't staying there for the family and as Mark Schmidt's kids get older and start coaching elsewhere, then yeah, I could see the, his motivation for leaving changing. And I think he's not, le- one of the reasons I don't think he's going to leave at this opportunity is because Bonham mostly their best players are all juniors and they're all coming back. This could be really his best team next year, not in a pandemic, a full season. He can load up the schedule or at least try to load up the schedule and really make a run at making the tournament and winning games and making a run in the tournament. And get fans he, back at the Riley Center, bring in all sure, that energy, yeah, yeah. then all the all the things that make Bonaventure a place you you want to enjoy. Right. And then he's only an even hotter name if he wins in March and they have some NCAA tournament victories on TV like that and only continuing the run that they have this year. Maybe they are in the top 25 next year. So that's why I don't – unless Boston College really targets him as the coach they want and they offer something financially that he can't turn down, I don't think this news today that that job's open really changes the equation there right now. For the record, because whenever you have a conversation like this, you want to know the answer. Uh, he turned 58 just a couple of days ago. So um, which is not probably the time. It's not too old, but it's at the point where if, you if you're going to make move. down jobs, the years add up and it might be too late in two or three years. And you might just say, 58 years old. He's been at Bonaventure for what, over a decade since 2007. Like at what point is Bonaventure home more than North Attleboro and Chestnut Hill? You know, I mean, he He can still summer down at the Cape um, in the off season, just like he always has and get his fill there. Um, What about the rest of the big four, Jonah? Uh, UB and the Mid-American Conference, things have been, seems a little slapdash there and trying to, you know, know, scratch out a a season, trying to get some momentum seems difficult. I guess we'll just stay there before we talk about the the Metro Atlantic. Well, UB is playing well when they do actually get to play. They won three in a row and their wins in the MAC have all been by 15, 20 plus points every time they win. It's a blowout, and they've lost four games in the MAC to some of the better teams in the MAC, and those have been closer games. But they've also had, I think it was two games last week that were postponed, and then a reschedule filling in there, and a game tomorrow at Eastern Michigan that's been postponed. And they don't have, Bonaventure has games that need to be rescheduled on their schedule as well. 
and the A-10 has a week, the first week in March, with rescheduled dates built into the schedule. The MAC doesn't have that. So it's hard to really look at the schedule and see many opportunities for UB's postponed games to be played now. I think maybe one or two of them might, especially if there's TV slots that need to be filled, because I think that's why that game got played Friday night at UB. But as it stands now, you know, we're getting to March already. and They're not going to push back the NCAA tournament or the conference tournament. So I think the games that UB's got four games left on the schedule. There's some big ones, though. They play some of the better teams, Toledo, Akron, Kent State, Ohio. Those probably those are the four teams ahead of them in the standings, actually. And so they do have a tough stretch here, but they've been playing well of late. Any thoughts to them as a – I'm not talking about NCAA tournament team, but a tournament style team. Do you think that they're, have we seen enough of them to know if they are the type of team that's built for putting it all together and, and making a push here in well, the Mid-American Conference tournament? I think they could win the MAC tournament. I'm not so sure. They're not the favorites, and I'm not so sure with the inconsistency that they've had that they're going to win three games in a row in Cleveland. But I think they could beat any team in the MAC. They play at home against Toledo, who's the number one seed in the MAC, or that's going to be the regular season champion on Saturday. Now that's a home game. But I could see them winning that game. And if they win that game, you think, hey, they can beat everybody. As far as the NCAA tournament, they don't have any sort of non conference resume that would put them in that discussion. And as far as if they did make the NCAA tournament, I don't know if this is what you're asking. I think this team is. No, I was just saying, it was like, my my premise was you're going to have to win the conference tournament to get into the NCAA tournament. And for me, it seems like, I mean, you be making the NCAA tournaments. It's not, you know, it's a long shot, but so I guess that was my way of asking what are their chances at this long shot, you know, to, to well, actually pull it off in the, in the conference tournament. They, they have a chance and we should know a lot more as they play through this regular season schedule, I didn't realize until just looking at it, that they really have the four top teams in the MAC now left in their four games. And I think they could beat any of those teams. I think they could lose to any of those teams. I'd be surprised if they went four and oh, just as much as I'd be surprised if they went three and oh in the MAC tournament. So I, I do think UB is one of the better teams in the league. They have four of the 10 best players, probably. They have four all MAC caliber players and could get hot. This could be a lot like Nate Oates' first team that wasn't so good in the regular season, and then they got to Cleveland and were just more athletic and better than everybody else, and they won because they were the best team in the gym three nights in a row. I don't know if this team can do that, but if that were to end up happening, you might look back and say, yeah, they, they did have the talent to put that together and turn it on in Cleveland like that. I just don't think they shoot well enough, consistently, consistently well enough, to win four straight regular season games and then three tournament games against good MAC teams all in a row. They're going to lose some of those games, I think. What can be said about Canisius and Niagara this season? It's just well, I, they've Niagara's been off the radar. Pause. and Canisius has won four in a row and had two pretty nice wins at Quinnipiac coming back after not playing in six weeks. They came back in the second half to win one game, and then the next day they went out and pounded Quinnipiac, who's not one of the better MAC teams, but – there aren't a lot of good MAC teams, and the MAC seems like and probably has been hit harder than any other conference in the country with uh, coronavirus issues and postponements and pauses and teams not playing and coaches. Like Rick Pitino, 
uh, testing positive. The games he was, they were supposed to play at Canisius have been postponed and probably won't be played. Uh, Canisius, I'm looking, they're fourth in the conference standings, which is about where they've been most of these years under Reggie Witherspoon. And, you know, they, they could get hot and win the MAC tournament and go to the NCAA tournament, but I don't think this is one of the better Canisius teams in recent years. So I, I wouldn't really peg them as a team that I think, uh, you know, watch them in March. You know, one yeah. of the criticisms of Reggie Witherspoon, and there aren't a lot. I mean, he's a really solid local basketball coach, uh, but it, it pertains to in-conference tournament time. And he has a tendency or a, a reputation for wearing his players out mentally, maybe. You know, and so uh, yeah. I wonder if Some people will say that maybe we should have Mark Bortz on to talk about that. Um, yeah, for sure. That is the perception. And if you talk to people that are close with Reggie or will defend Reggie, they'll, they'll give you the, a different side of that. But there have been conference tournament losses where you wonder, did he burn this team out two weeks ago? Did he burn out his best player a couple weeks ago? It's happened. So I wonder I think, if the pandemic maybe slows things down enough for them that, uh, that they're playing their best basketball in the tournament. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Maybe being off for six weeks presents that from happening. There's probably limitations on how long they can practice and, and how long they can go. And everybody maybe got a mental break. But I, I don't want to say, because I think Reggie's a good coach, and I think there's been signs with lesser, lesser talented teams at UB that went a little further in the postseason than – we thought they were, they peaked at the right time. So I don't know if that's always the case, but yeah, he does coach players hard. And I think young players sometimes need four years to get used to how that works playing for Reggie Witherspoon. And I've seen teams where his freshmen and sophomores have seemed to not hold up all the way through the season. And he has a mix of some older players, transfers and junior college players, and then some younger freshmen and sophomores on this team right now. So uh, long story short with them, the same thing with Niagara. I think they have some talent. They can win some games in the MAC tournament, but this isn't Canisius's year or Niagara's year. And sometimes those teams have really good seniors and you're like, this is the year they can win the MAC. And I don't really see that with either one of those teams this year. What about uh, Niagara's season? Have you, have we learned, have we been able to learn anything uh, about Greg Paulus that we didn't know? Uh, I mean, everything was so sudden last year. Uh, with him taking over the program amid controversy. The, the record didn't look that good, but I think what they were able to put together on the fly was somewhat impressive. Uh, and then this season, uh, what do we know about Niagara's program? Uh, about as much as we did a year ago. I mean, there are a lot of the same players. They brought back much of the same team. They're an older team, and they're around the same, hovering around 500, seven and nine overall, six and eight in the MAC. You know, if you look at their schedule, it's a lot of splits where they're playing two teams in the MAC, uh, you know, on consecutive nights and they win one and they lose the other. I haven't seen them live, so I don't know if they, you know, if they look better or if Paulus is, Paulus is coaching them differently than he did last year. But they still seem to be about the same team as they were last year, but the expectations are a little different. Last year, being 500 was wow, look at how great this team is doing with a coach that had to take over at the last minute. Now he had, it was a pandemic off season and I don't think they did anything because the Mac was really shut down all off season long, but now the expectations are a little different. So being 500 doesn't seem as impressive as it did a year ago. I want to touch on uh, one of the 
Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, favorite players, uh, because we've been talking about him for, it seems, uh, long, <laughs> longer than he's been at Damon. Andrew Cisco uh, is having another great year, at least statistically, although Damon's, uh, you know, it, it's hard uh, for them to get going. What, five games, I think, is all they've played. Uh, but this is his final season, and he is one of the best uh, players at that level in the country. Maybe the best. I don't know. He's averaging uh, 30 He's a points. Two-time All-American. Yeah. Um, probably a three-time All-American this year. And this might not be his final season. I don't know if there's been a decision made there yet. but With a hardship he has, type thing? Well, no. All players, the eligibility clock basically stopped this year. Right. So – He's a this would be his red shirt. This would be his fifth season. Yeah. So three things could happen. He could go pro. He's probably good enough to be a pro player at some level and old enough and, and has his degree. I, I would think, I think he's already a graduate student. He could come back to Damon for one more year because this season was kind of a washout. Maybe he wants to try to win something as a team that they haven't won before in the NCAA tournament. And he could maybe even graduate transfer to a division one team, which I know something he didn't consider strongly in the past, but that there were, you know, overtures and opportunities for him to maybe consider that last off season. And he didn't. So I, I would say, I, I don't think. Do you know the types of schools that were involved, Jonah? Uh, I heard of at least one big East school that was sniffing around, but it was mostly, you know, is he interested? I don't know how far along it got. Um, and I think any of the local teams might've considered them and, you know, he would go to – he could go to Niagara Canisius and be the best big man on the team and one of the best big men in the league right away, and I think he knows that, but has decided that he would rather stay and play at Damon than make that type of move, at least a year ago. Maybe now the dynamic has changed a year later. If you're, if you're Andrew Cisco, there, I mean, I don't want to belittle Canisius – I work at Canisius. I, I teach a, for full disclosure. I teach sports journalism at Canisius once a year. Um, how much other than just saying I played division one basketball, how much difference is there going from Damon to Canisius in terms of the facilities? Um, you know, the travel, the, you know, it's not as though you're making a huge leap. I, I would think that if I'm Andrew Cisco and I'd want to stay in the area and do it, I'd pick Bonaventure or UB. And I think he's good enough that they would that either of those programs would welcome him for a year, right? Yeah, I think that he's good enough. I mean, some of those programs have players at that position, so it might not be the perfect fit. I think the difference between uh, Bonaventure and UB and Canisius Niagara for a player maybe making that decision is that you could go to Niagara, say, and play 35, 40 minutes a game and be the leading scorer and maybe even be the player of the year in the MAC, or at least compete for that, had the type of statistics that put you in that discussion. And at UB, you might be splitting some center minutes with a different guy. There might be times when, you know, he's a big center, and sometimes teams play small and play those type of players off the floor at, at the higher levels. Even in the Metro Atlantic Conference, that could happen. So I just don't, I think if you make that move, you get better numbers at a smaller division one school than a mid-major or a high level division one school. But honestly, if you're in his position, 
you're probably looking to go to a power five school if you can, because sure. then you get on TV. And if you are productive, the experience, level, the band, well, and, you know, obviously if you, but to, to get well, on a bus, just, long bus rides to play in a small gym. Um, I don't know. I mean, that would be, that's me, I guess. In the, you know, whether it's the NBA or the development league or overseas, if you put up numbers in the big East, that's going to make you more marketable, more draftable than putting up numbers in the Metro Atlanta conference or at the division two level players do go from division two to uh, pro all the time. The NBA is maybe more rare, but it happens. It happened with a local player that went to St. Joe's. Again, his name is not coming to me right now. We played for the Hawks. He played for Malloy in Damon's league. And he made it to the NBA through the G league a few years back. Jalen Smith. This is bothering me now, but anyways, it can happen, but it happens a lot more if you're a division one player and it happens a lot more than that. If you're a high level division one player. Well, it's been a good chat. Yeah. Take a look, look at, look it up. So that way we can uh, have closure. There are people out there that would love this. Jalen Morris is his name. Okay. You can just edit all that back in. So it looks like I know what I'm talking about (laughs) five minutes back. You sound a lot smarter if it comes right to the top of your head. Yeah. For those who aren't watching on YouTube and who are listening to the podcast on your preferred platform, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, whatever you want. Uh, Matthew Fairburn was playing the Ben Hawley role for the last 15, 20 minutes. His feet were up. He was doodling. Uh, He was not taking part in the discussions at all. And uh, that's fine. Ben Hawley. I don't know what you're getting at there. Isn't that right? Did I say, isn't that the Missouri... I was nodding my head. I yeah. was... He's the senator from Missouri who wasn't uh, paying attention during the uh, the impeachment uh, trial. I was vigorously nodding my head, agreeing. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Cheering, cheering my guys on. Reading, finishing up Happy Land, the uh, <laughs> the wonderful book by Wright Thompson. I finished it. Finished yeah, that would be funny if you just ago. pulled out a book and <laughs> it's like, oh, it's basketball That's time. <laughs> Uh, all right. Good talk. It's good. By for the, the way, Josh Holly. So Josh Holly. If I got half a name wrong and you got half a name wrong. All right, Josh Holly. Ben, who am I thinking of? Who am I getting my, my my addled brain? I, I get names crossed up. Who's Ben? How about Ben Hoggood? Uh, ben Bradley. I'm gonna look up who who uh what google's going to tell me i meant when i was saying ben hawley yeah it's josh hawley ben hockey ever called me says ben hawley senator so somebody somebody who's googled this so many times that it now registers as a a google search item uh and it comes yeah it's it's a josh hawley uh it'll it'll take you right there but so yeah ben hawley i must be some sort of I don't know, a malaprop in my brain. Um, Good talk, guys. Tim Graham and Friends is brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. CTBK is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst, New York. CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client for assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, and advice on mergers and acquisitions, CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or to request a quote, 
Call 716-630-2400. Again, that's 716-630-2400. CTBK, over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond.